electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, getting back to business. Real estate magnate and hospitality CEO Barry Sternlicht is calling for a reopened economy. If the state stays shut too long, it could be irreversible damage. I don't think the main streets of America will ever look the same. And NBA legend Magic Johnson has a new teammate, and together they're supporting small businesses in crisis. We have to remember that these businesses have been in urban communities for a long, long time. They've been doing great things. Magic is teaming up with a lender financing $100 million in loans to entrepreneurs. MBE Capital Partners, Rafael Martinez. Every business that's out there can go online right now because there's a ton of money left. And this is a call to action. Those stories plus the recipe for a stable restaurant industry. It's Tuesday, May 19th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Let's take a look at the U.S. equity futures. At the- First up today on the podcast, reopening for business, as some parts of the U.S. attempt to come out from under the shadow of coronavirus. President Trump sat down to a roundtable meeting with restaurant executives yesterday afternoon, some of whom have been contending with months of no business. We're here with the leaders of the restaurant industry. It's a, an industry that's been tremendously impacted by what's happening with COVID. Uh, And uh, it's an industry that we're working very hard with. A hot topic for discussion was the time allotted for the Paycheck Protection Program. Executives pressed Trump to extend the deadline for spending the government's PPP money, or paying their employees, to 24 weeks from the current eight weeks. We were joined today by one of the meeting attendees. Melvin Roderick is president and CEO of Galatoire's Restaurants. Galatoire's is a century-old landmark in New Orleans, right in the heart of the French Quarter. It's a figure of popular culture. Tennessee Williams snuck a mention of the restaurant into a streetcar named Desire. And its dining room is a key part of the New Orleans tourist experience. And Melvin joined us via Zoom, sitting on the front porch this morning, so the Louisiana bird song you hear is not your imagination. Here's Andrew. Melvin, it is great to see you. For the last 20 years, I've been going down to your restaurant. I miss your bread pudding uh, so very, very much. And uh, boy, do I wish you all the luck in the world. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the meeting that you had with the president yesterday and what you told him specifically about the PPP program. Well, first of all, we've got to get you some of that banana bread pudding sooner than later. So uh, we're starting to reopen New Orleans now, uh, which is a good sign. But the capacities are are quite restrictive. So that's a bit of a challenge. But uh, we'll keep working on it. Uh, Someone mentioned consumer confidence earlier. That's obviously so important right now. And uh, but, you know, our, our message to the president yesterday was really clear. And it was it was this. The payroll protection program has been uh, a help to many uh, millions of of businesses across the country. And uh, it's got a great opportunity to be a help for restaurants. What we need uh, is an alignment of the test period and us being open for business. 
That being said, uh, what we've done is not ask for more money. Uh, we may need that in the future. Uh, but instead of more money, what we asked for was for the, to give us a larger window of time. And we went, we asked for it to go from eight weeks on the test period for forgiveness to 24 weeks on the test period for, for forgiveness. Uh, that would give us that elongated time period would give us staying power to weather the storm, keep our staff, uh, and, and just make up for the, the shortfall, uh, in revenue that we're experiencing. Hey, Melvin, in terms of the challenge that, that you're confronting, one of them, of course, is social distancing and the requirement that you can only have 25 percent uh, occupancy. I'm curious what you think the the appropriate occupancy could be. And the other question I had is how much of it is the social distancing requirements and how much of it is just strictly a demand picture, given that New Orleans is such a wonderful tourist destination and an environment where people aren't flying into town for the weekend there's less people that I imagine are going to be going out. So you're 100% right. It's a twofold issue. First and foremost, it's hard to believe. But uh, when I reopen tomorrow at 25% capacity, I'll be losing more money than last week when I was shut down because I'll be begin incurring expenses below the break. even. And, uh, you know, that's a scary thought, but we've got to do it to get the economy moving again and build consumer confidence and build up to what would be a reasonable capacity. As far as demand, I think that there will be a demand early on for those restaurants that are open. Uh, we got a lot of calls when we made our announcements last week. And so that's incredible and, and, and a good deal. That being said, you definitely hit the nail on the head. New Orleans is a city of 400,000 people uh, and the greater metropolitan is about 1.1 million. That's not enough to sustain 1,500 restaurants, you know, in any math that you do. Uh, so we need those 19 million visitors back. That takes me back to our solution yesterday, which is a win for all restaurants, is if we can get, and we did, we got great commitment from the president and Secretary Mnuchin to work on this. If we can get from eight weeks to 24 weeks on the forgiveness that elongated uh, period of time allows us to stretch those loans and get forgiveness. And that gives us the staying power we need right. to get closer to a point in time where those 19 million visitors do come back right. to New Orleans or New York or San Francisco or right. anywhere else in between. Well, Melvin, I wish you all the luck in the world. I hope I can get down there, get some of that shrimp creole and we can get... Uh that bread pudding, that banana bread pudding is something else. So uh, good luck, my friend. Look me up. Barry Sternlicht built Starwood Hotels and Restaurants, the umbrella for brands like St. Regis, Weston, W Hotels, and many more, from a small real estate investment trust into a multi-billion dollar hotelier. The company later merged with Marriott. But that's a different story. For now, here's what you need to know. At the moment, Sternlicht is the chairman and CEO of Starwood Capital Group, which has over $60 billion in assets under management. He's also chairman of the largest commercial mortgage real estate investment trust in the U.S., which is publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. And he's on the board of Invitation Homes, another publicly traded real estate company. Sternlicht is CEO and chairman of One Hotels, the sustainable and luxurious brand with locations around the U.S. 
And right now, most of Barry Sternlich's hospitality business has ground to a halt. But as he's told Squawk Box in the past, Sternlich has seen his companies through the dot-com boom and bust and through the housing crisis. And now, in the COVID crisis, he's calling for work to resume so he and the economy can get back to business. Here's Becky. Barry, it's great to see you. How are you doing? Good, Becky. How are you? Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Let's talk a little bit about what you're seeing, at least in the hotel business, in the um, leisure business. At this point, where are things uh, in terms of a reopening and how are consumers feeling, you think, about about getting back out and traveling? Well, I think, you know, the economy is is um, clearly picking up. Um, I think you, what you're seeing is roadside hotels are doing OK where people are driving um that's picking up first it's not group there's no uh international travel involved that will be the last of the hotel markets to open uh anything that's really international travel we have to get back to that and we can talk about how we my thoughts on how we do that but um so like we opened a hotel in jacksonville on the beach uh a couple weekends ago and we ran nearly 60 percent occupancy on the weekend because people are desperate to get out of their houses (laughs) And I think you're seeing actually the same thing in malls, which has actually been surprising to me. Um, and I was wondering why traffic in malls is up. Um, two things. Well, surveys really show consumers after they get out of their house, they actually want to go somewhere. They want to go to a mall. I was actually surprised to see that. And they have all the time in the world. So they're home. They've gone to stop and shop and their public's down in Florida. And now they're going to explore. It's like a flea market, a giant sale. And they want to go see what, you know, find things to do. So the local mall is really important. It is interesting, and it's sort of not in order of what the questions you've asked me, but it's really important for some of these retail stores to get open. I really have never seen the difference between social distancing in a Walmart and social distancing social distancing in a limited store, The Gap or Abercrombie & Fitch. I mean, the small retailers should not be at such dis- disadvantage to the nationals, the major nationals, your Costco's. and your, They're just as important to the local communities because all those malls pay huge taxes to the lo- local cities. And your, your leading story or leading headline was that New York City is seeing such a drop in property taxes. That's what happened when you keep everything shut. So, um, you know, we can do social distancing in small outlets. You don't have to go to the Walmart to buy your gardening supplies. You can go to the local gardening store or the hardware store. Just because they're small doesn't mean they can't practice the same um, uh, uh, health uh, benefits the way the, the, the large retailers can. In fact, maybe they'll be even more careful. Hey, Barry, you mentioned that hotel that you opened in Jacksonville on the beach at 60 percent occupancy for the uh, for the weekend. Where, where did you think occupancy levels w- would hit? Like 30, 35. Um, every major hotel we have in the major gateway cities, Miami Beach, New York, Los Angeles, they're all closed. Um, and with no signs of opening. I mean, Los Angeles, which isn't really having a bad experience per se, uh, the mayor extended the, de- uh, the shutdown for another three months, I think, arbitrarily. Um, here in Miami, I think there's some issues with crowd control and international travel, but Miami can probably reopen. We're prepared to run these hotels. You know, you might be curious, your investors might be curious, your listeners. We probably can break even at the property line with 35% occupancy. If you want us to cover debt service and real estate taxes and insurance, we're going to need occupancies to pass 50%, 60%. You might get there depending on this vaccine, the Moderna vaccine or any of the dozens and dozens behind that uh, by the end of the year. 
But air travel, you know, I'm really delighted to see the airlines finally put mask requirements on. And they should do temperature checks. As soon as people have confidence, they're going to fly. I had some friends that were supposed to come out from California to Miami this weekend. And the planes, the two planes, there are only two flights, they were full. Um, people do want to get on with it, especially the younger people. And uh, they're tired of this. And I'm kind of in their camp as long as those at risk stay home. So I think uh, the nation needs to open. And I think the blue states that are really getting hammered they happen to coincidentally be the places where the virus has been the worst. Um, they need to get on with it, too. And I'm glad to see New York beginning to open. We're, we're anxious to open our offices and we make attending our offices totally voluntary. But my guess is 25 percent of the people will stay home. They won't be comfortable. And the rest of the people will come to work and we will social distance them and we will get back to the business the way we knew it. Hey, Barry, you guys obviously need to make some type of plans for the rest of the year and into 2021. And I'm you know, you've probably been the most aggressive or, or optimistic, I should say, uh, about the timeline for all of this. You talked about the Moderna uh, vaccine and even the end of the year. We could debate it. I think that's probably a little bit early in terms of that getting to people at scale. But the question I'd ask you is so to the degree you're making investments or thinking about how the business is going to operate or how you're going to even deal with debt service over the next, you tell me how many months or longer um, you're, you're yeah. sort of making your plans around. Well, we're, we're not your typical owner of assets, so we are fairly deep pocketed. Um, we have large funds. I'm more thinking about all my friends who own hotels and own other businesses and, and own um, uh, office buildings, for example. Yeah, I, I said on March 13th when I came on your show that this would I was fairly bullish. And I think I look like a crazy person. But I gave you five reasons. One, interest rates were low and we were stay low. Um, which they have. It's a cut for businesses, a tax cut for consumers, oil prices down, tax cut for consumers, tax cut for businesses. We would have uh, overstimulation. Probably the biggest worry I have right now is we go hog wild and bananas. You know, it's so interesting. This is about 100,000, it's 90,000 deaths. Assume it's 100,000 deaths and $6 trillion. That's $60 million per death. And if we would just pay people, let's say we give people a $1,000 incentive even $500 for signing up for contact tracing, which they can do instantly if, if the leadership of this country decides to mandate it. We're at war. I said it was World War III for 90 days. 90 days has another three weeks to go. It'd be uh, June 13th. Why? It's war. We're at war with a virus. So why don't we have mandate contact tracing? We'll even pay you for doing it. $500 per person. That's $150 billion versus the $3 trillion Democrat stimulus package. Once we can track the virus, we can deal with this virus. That's only 150 billion bucks. That's what, 5% of the 3 trillion? At least there'll be a return on the investment. We just can't, I, I'm empathetic, obviously. I'm involved with Robin Hood. We, we help the poor. I totally understand this has been disproportionately hitting the, the, those most in need. We need to help them, probably uh, not with $600 on top of the $300. Um, because we have created some disincentives. We are worried about hiring some of our hotel workers back because there are other things. They're making more money doing uh, less work today. That's a good idea, a little overzealous. The overstimulation is could be real. It's on a global scale. It's not just us. We're buying ETFs today, I think. I mean, I'm not sure why we're buying ETFs. The NASDAQ's up on the year. The Dow is, or the S&P's down 9%. That seems like uh, maybe you needed it three months ago, but you don't need it today. And I think you should, um, then you have, it's a flu, we've proved it's a flu. In 50 of the 52 states, the R0 is, is down, is negative, is below one. 
there's only two states in the nation where it's above, it's still red, and they're Minnesota and Maine. I mean, we don't hear about that often in the press, but we are getting through this. And last one is, of course, the medical breakthroughs. And if it's not Moderna, Mike Milken the other night said there are 100 different vaccines being tested around the world. The odds of none of them working, I'm not going to say that's going to be very high. So it really is a question of the slope from here to that, to when people feel really comfortable. Contact tracing could help us in the interim. Temperature testing, wearing masks, all the things everyone's heard about. But in general, we can get through this. But if we wait too long, if these states stay shut too long, it could be irreversible damage. I mean, these small businesses will never open. And that will be a shame because the only guy left on Main Street was a small restaurant guy. Everyone else has gone online. So I don't think the main streets of America look ever, ever look the same. And I don't know. I think people will really want to come back and shop physically to some extent because it's a social experience. Like they didn't have to go to the movie. They could just watch the movie on their iPad. But I think human behavior and what I've seen in my travels, I've been to the west side of the state of Florida. I was in northern Florida. They're out and about. They're doing their own thing. And uh, they're keeping respectful distances at the beach in Naples. And in Georgia, they're they're being careful. But I think we actually don't have much of a choice. The country can't survive being locked up. And uh, we don't have enough money in the world to, to actually to pay for an entire economy. And in the meantime, other nations are moving forward. We have to get our manufacturing back. One really positive thing that's going to come about this, which a friend told me, is we used to have what's called just-in-time inventory. And now we're going to have just-in-case inventory. <laughs> so just-in-case inventory means we are going to bring back key pharmaceuticals, key equipment we might need for a pandemic. It actually could be the manufacturing revolution that the Trump administration has sought to do. And that could be a long-term significant benefit of the situation. I think people are surprised at just how dependent we are on foreign, chain, uh, foreign supply chains. And you'll see, I think, a lot of effort made by companies to basically bring back critical materials mm -hmm. to the country. And that's good because mm -hmm. some of these small shop owners are going to have to be retrained for new jobs. Hey, Barry, yesterday the president was meeting with representatives of the restaurant industry, a, a lot of big restaurant chains and others. Um, he kept saying that he thinks what they need from here on out is deductibility, to be able to deduct all kinds of expenses that come through this. Uh, it seemed to me that most of them were pushing back and saying, no, they, they need an extension of PPP, more money to be paid out. Where, where do you come down on that? They need confidence. They need consumer confidence. So there people come back and, and can sit outside or sit inside. Restaurants won't work with 25% occupancy inside. The rents would have to be cut in half, and that would be a rolling stone into oblivion. Um, I, think, uh, I think the PPP program has been a, a very good program. Um, even down the street, I see small shops that have reopened. One restaurant right down the block, we were told it was going to close, and it reopened. So... Um, it, it, it again, it depends on when they open, when they really open uh, South Florida. Miami-Dade is, is unique. It's a, been a hot spot. So we're not open. But if you go to Broward or Palm Beach, you, you find people um, uh, out and about and they're not fully open either. But I think I think this contact tracing is a really big deal. I mean, having the ability to know that you've been with somebody who had this and then self-quarantining yourself um, could, could be a, just a game changer in, 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 in getting that slope fast. So I, I think, um, I don't think, I don't think it's about tax deductions. I don't I think it's about deductibility. That's, mm -hmm. you need revenue and you need revenue, you need customers right. and you get customers, you need employees right. and materials. So the PPP is a good program. Okay. Barry, thank you very much. It's great to see you and we will talk to you again soon.
Next on Squawk Pod, NBA legend Magic Johnson is making a new kind of assist for minority-owned small businesses. This will allow them to keep their employees and also keep their doors open. Financially, this has really hurt our community, the urban uh, community, as well as health-wise has hurt our community. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. We're going to talk about assistance for those hurting from the coronavirus slowdown. NBA legend and businessman Magic Johnson is helping deploy $100 million to capital to minority-owned small businesses. The PPP loans are being offered through a partnership between Equitrust Life Insurance Company, where Magic is a majority owner, and MBE Capital Partners. Joining us right now is Magic Johnson, chairman and CEO of Magic Johnson's Enterprises and MBE Capital Partners CEO, Rafael Martinez. Good morning uh, to both of you gentlemen. Um, Good morning. There's so much to talk to both of you about. It's great to see you again, Magic. I'm going to Rafael first. Everybody knows you, Magic, so you're going to have to hang on for one second. And we're going to talk about Last Dance and everything else in just a sec. But how did this whole thing come together? So the great thing about doing good things with great people is that you kind of attract each other. We had mutual friends that put us together. And Irvin's team, Eric, Ken, at Equitrust, uh, got together with our team. And we put this amazing deal together in about five days. Uh, Lawyers got together make sure the contracts were right, and off we went. So here we are today looking to reach out to about 100,000 small businesses in our community to make sure they get the PPP loans. And, and Magic, how, how are you going to be doing that? What size loans are, are you imagining? And, and what kind of businesses are, are, you, are you hoping to get money to? Well, I think, <clears throat> you know, what Raphael and I want to do is to make sure that you know, we're going to vet these companies. Uh, that's uh, Raphael's job. We're going to write the check, Equitrust. Uh, uh, we've already written a $100 million check. And then he's going to dispo- uh, deploy the capital. But the main thing is we need to keep these businesses open. Also, too, those business owners need to keep their employees. And so this will allow them to keep their employees and also keep their doors open and we have to remember that these businesses have been in urban communities for a long, long time. They've been doing great things. They probably didn't have a relationship with the banks when the stimulus package went out. So now we're able to say, hey, you can have a relationship with us. You can keep your employees, keep your doors open. And that's what we want to do, make sure that minority-owned firms, women-owned firms can uh, stay open. And last but not least, you know, financially, this has really hurt our community, the urban uh, community, as well as health-wise has hurt our community too. So with uh, Raphael and I coming together, uh, this is really important. And so uh, he's going to work with the SBA 
And we're going to make sure that these great firms are able to keep their doors open. Raphael, in terms of being able to get that money out the door quickly, how do you vet these companies, especially ones that historically you wouldn't have had a relationship, which has been one of the great challenges for a lot of the banks? You know, the great thing that the SBA, you know, Administrator Carranza and Treasury, uh, you know, the great thing that they did is simplified the application process and made it easier to qualify for these loans. So at the end of the day, we have to go by the guidelines that SBA set, which the bar was lowered to the point where every business that's out there can go online right now because there's a ton of money left. And this is a call to action. What we're trying to do is make sure we vet everybody to the standards of the SBA and assure that this money goes out. Because the next step in this uh, procedure is working with a depository bank to multiply Irvin's investment into a billion dollars or more. So that's what we're doing next. But we're doing what the SBA wants us to do. We've been in business for 21 years doing supply chain finance for minority vendors. So we know this space. What we're trying to do right now is expand that to help others that are not being helped by the banks that they do business with or don't do business with. If I can add, those checks will be different sizes because the companies will, will need different uh, amount of capital to stay open. So it won't be a certain amount to everybody. It depends on what you need to help you stay open and also help you to grow too, grow your business at the same time. Right. Hey, Magic, what did you think when you heard that that the Lakers had, had asked for the PPP program originally? It feels like the goalposts on, on these programs have moved a little bit. They return the money, but I'm curious sort of what your first first instinct was when you heard that news? Well, I think we were all surprised. And um, uh, but at the same time, you know, in this climate, nothing should surprise any of us. Right. And so uh, but they returned the money. They did the right thing. Uh, Jeannie Buss is a very good owner and she's smart. So I'm glad that she returned the money because there's a lot of companies out here who really need that money. And she she was smart enough to to understand that. Right. You used to own a, a lot of movie theaters back in the day. <laughs> you, you have any, any, any you have any thoughts about when we're all going to be sitting in movie theaters ever again? I think we will be sitting in them, but uh, not uh, probably until probably I think next year because they're going to have to really figure out how we're going to social distance in a movie theater and everybody is can stay safe. So I think it's going to really um, take some time to really figure out how are you going to sit everybody where they're still six feet apart, whether that's on the right or left side of you or in back of you, right, and in front of you. So movie theaters really going to have to figure it out, as well as gyms, too. You know, a lot of the gyms, you know, I work out all the time. And so how are we going to stay safe in a gym and in a movie theater and, and my wife and I love to go to the movies. So this is going to affect us big time. And so I, I'm, I'm really curious about the strategy they're going to have uh, to keep us all safe when we go back to right. the movies. What, what about professional sports? Do you think that, that, that everybody can get tested? Do you think people can stay quarantined in a hotel? you think there's going to be people in the audience, not in the audience? This, this is your I, business. I think that when we go back, no people in the audience right now. Uh, if the NBA comes back, Major League Baseball starts, uh, MLS soccer, 
I think you're going to see all those sports come back, but empty stadiums. Uh, also, probably testing the players. Uh, probably have to do that almost every day, and uh, especially before games. And so, um, because we need it, America, we we thrive on our sports. We that's how we escape our everyday life is to uh, indulge ourselves into sports. And so, we need sports to come back, especially if we're going to continue to stay home, right? So we just need sports right. to come back, make us feel good, and we can cheer for our teams. Okay, I got I have a business leadership question for both of you. <laughs> but Magic, uh, you know, we've all been watching La- The Last Dance. It's been unbelievable. Right. But it's raised also, you know, what Michael did on the court and his quote-unquote management style, if you will, uh, could be tough. I think that was one of the, the big reveals uh, of mm-hmm. The Last Dance. If you didn't know that already, you probably knew it because – uh, he, was, he was talking trash in your ear the whole time. But the question is, does that leadership, which he said, you know, he paid a price for, does that work in business? You're seeing a lot of people try to do business analysis on Michael Jordan on the court versus the business analysis of being a CEO. What do you think? No, I think it works in sports, no question about it, because that, that style worked for Michael Jordan and his Bulls. I mean, winning six NBA championships. But in business, you can't you you really have to understand that every employee is different right and you have to understand how to motivate them and how to make sure you get the the best out of them 150% out of them and so my management style is to hire them not to micromanage them i hire the best people smart people smarter than myself and then let them do their job and then also pat them on a on the back and encourage them. So that's always been my style and I will continue to do that. And Michael Jordan, that style works in sports, but in business, I don't think that style works. And we, we, we've seen it now, right? When, when, when you got talented people, they're going to say, you know what? I don't have to deal with that. I can leave and go to another corporation. (laughs) So talented people have choices just like, uh, uh, Michael Jordan had a choice to have that style in sports, but in business, those employees would leave and go somewhere else because there's there's so much competition out here in business. Okay, final question because we got some numbers coming. Andy Roddick actually was on Twitter last night, tweeted in for you a question, Magic, uh, okay. which is this: What's your favorite, proudest post basketball business accomplishment and why? And he wants you to take the Dodgers out of it. Okay. Well, it's really easy. The thing that really made me a legitimate businessman, I have to give Howard Schultz and Starbucks the credit because when I built those 125 Starbucks in urban America, everybody thought no way they were going to work, that it could make money, it it could be successful. And we were able to prove them all wrong. And so that I will always have to go back to Starbucks and also give a big thank you to Howard Schultz to, for believing in me, trusting in the urban community, and we made money, and now he built thousands of stores, or Starbucks had built thousands of stores in the inner cities, and that's what it's all about. Okay. Uh, Magic, we appreciate it. Raphael, we appreciate it. Good luck to both thank of you. Thank you very much. Come on back uh, and give us a progress report when you can. Thanks, you guys. It. Thank you. Thank you very much. Stay you safe. Bet. Squawk Pod will be right back. 
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. On TV, tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.